everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Into the Burrow podcast. Today, we've got a lot of news, and specifically, a lot of news centering Scream. But my name is Jared, and joining me as always is Linda. Hey, guys. Uh, still titled Spooky Linda, just for those of you wondering. Hell yeah. Uh, I think I think that's just what it's going to be from now on. It's so weird because I'm looking at the screen and I see Jared Charles, but then I see Spooky Linda. Spooky Linda. I mean, I'm I'm fine with that. I love it. It gives it gives my name personality on this thing that only you and I can see. <laughs> it makes me feel special amongst the two of us. Okay, well, look, hey, you get the special name because I can't actually change mine because technically they just pull the name of the like account owner. So I, I have no control over like what I'm titled, but uh-huh. I have all of the control in the world over yours. So, well, thank you for respecting who I am as a spooky Linda. <laughs> I'm always putting guests first here on the Into the Burrow podcast. <laughs> Very respectful. I love it. um so yes um we have no updates for those of you wondering um but first i want to tell you a little bit about bus no i'm just kidding i'm not doing the bus spread ad today um mostly just because like i do it every time and like the link is always going to be there so if you do want to go support us and you and you want a podcast and you want to dabble in it a little bit just to see if you like it consider heading over to buzzsprout and trying out um, a paid plan or even the free plan that they have there. But if you follow the link in the show notes um, on the website and on um, like our buzz, our actual Buzzsprout page for the podcast, then you get um, a $20 Amazon gift card and we get that click. So it helps both of us out and you can do that. And we have no other major channel updates. Um, no new videos released. No new nothing. Um, I do want to possibly cover um, Fantastic Fest, which is happening right now virtually uh, for Morbidly Beautiful, who I am now a staff writer of. So that was really exciting news. And there's a lot of film and TV coverage coming out of Fantastic Fest, and I hope to get on some of it. Otherwise, we did not change the podcast release date. It is still Mondays at 11 a.m. Central. I feel like if we keep changing it too much, people are just never going to like know what we're doing. We were consistent and I I don't think, okay, Linda, do you think that moving the podcast um, technically back a day, do you think that that is uh, okay to do just because it was a day? It's not like, I mean, it's not like we moved it like, you know, from the typical Sundays at 11 all the way to like, I don't know, Thursday at noon or something, you know? I mean, honestly, as long as it's not too sporadic, I think it should be fine. I mean, so far we've remained pretty consistent, you know, anywhere between the Saturday to Monday times. I I think it's totally fine. Like as long as we're not jumping from like Sunday to Wednesday to Friday to Monday, you know, things like that. I, I think for now it should be fine. It's not too sporadic and it's not too crazy. It's still within the same few days. 
Yeah, yeah. You'll have to let us know, all you listeners out there, uh, whether you like this schedule or not, um, because we could just throw a fucking curveball at you and we could just really <laughs> whatever the fuck we want and yeah. uh, give you no consideration whatsoever. <laughs> also, Monday's just a nice little, you know, do to do your like driving to work and, and you want to catch up on all the previous week's news as far as film and television goes in the industry. And uh, what a, what, a great way to catch up on everything. Um, so make sure to subscribe to the Into the Burrow podcast on wherever, on whichever podcast provider you actually use, um, except Pandora, obviously. Uh, <laughs> and I'll keep bringing that up every episode because I am bitter. Um, it, it's just so frustrating. I see, like, I can go on my podcast page and on the RSS directories, I can see that we're listed everywhere but Pandora. It doesn't make any sense. Anyway. Um, yeah, that's my little Pandora spiel for the week. I might make that its own segment <laughs> moving forward. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Let's um, talk about Pandora. In other words, yeah. let me rant about Pandora. Pandora. And, uh, we're actually talking about the planet from Avatar. Um, just in case anyone wasn't familiar oh. with what we're talking about. <laughs> um, you know, that movie, that <laughs> shitty movie. Uh, anyway, I actually really liked avatar when it came out i don't know about you it's really one of those movies where it's it's a great movie to watch just the one time though because if you watch it more than that you're just super sick of it because of how long it is and the story does tend to drag from time to time but i mean the first time around i really liked it yeah the first time was great i saw it in 3d it's one of the few films that i've actually seen in 3d and usually 3d movies don't do anything for me and this one was actually really special for me just because it was the first time that I went to the theater to see a movie with my stepmom. And also, like, beyond that, like, I think it was the first time that, like, I really noticed any of my family members, like, taking appreciation for, like, my interests and stuff and, like, Aww. purposefully bringing me to the movie theater to actually, you know, experience, like, movies. So that was really cool. That's so cute. Um, yeah, it was really cute. And like, I just, so I think those emotions are also attached to that first viewing for me. And so I don't know if it's just because of that or if it's because like, I actually just liked the movie the first time watching it. But definitely the second time, the only thing that I was really like paying attention to or looking forward to in the movie was Sigourney Weaver. And every time it's a payoff with Sigourney Weaver, it doesn't really matter if she has a <laughs> two second cameo in the cabin in the woods or if she has a small part in avatar. But you know, I think, wait, she was cast in the, in the new avatar movies. I think, I think, I think she's a part of that cast. So she'll be coming back for the sequels. So that's good. I, to hear. I honestly thought she died, but maybe I'm not she remembering did. it correctly. Oh, she, oh, she did. What the hell is she doing? I don't. Wasn't she? Didn't she end up being like that tree, like the magic tree? Are didn't they gonna she pull up, like a Grandma Willow on her or something? Like, well, that's pretty gonna, much like, what it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was Sigourney Weaver is a tree talking, from what I remember. But you know, I, I know. must have like totally suppressed that because I do not. <laughs> <laughs> Let's let's bring a big name like Sigourney Weaver onto this movie, but then reduce her to a talking tree. Yeah, you know, you got Sigourney Weaver. I guess I guess I, it's a plus. Yeah. But 
Okay, well, with all of that down, all the Pandora and Avatar talk, um, I think we should dive into this week's news because we've got uh, actually some juicy news this week. I'm really excited to talk about all of that. So uh, we'll see you on the flip side. If you would like to support the Borough Reviews or the Into the Borough podcast, please consider subscribing to our Patreon campaign. Our Patreon offers four distinct memberships, Candyman, a $1 a month tier to show your general support for what we do here on the Borough Reviews, It follows a $2 a month tier that will grant you early access to our videos before they release on YouTube, Hereditary, a $5 a month tier with exclusive podcast discussions, and member-only polls so you control what content we focus on each month. And finally, Trick or Treat, a $10 a month tier where you'll get exclusive videos, behind-the-scene content, and all of the other tier perks. During these times, it is crucial for us to remain stable. And with your help, we can get there. Head over to patreon.com slash the borough reviews to sign up. The Borough Reviews, your movie refuge. The latest news from last week. John Squires in Bloody Disgusting writes, Nev Campbell is back as Sidney Prescott in Spyglass and Paramount's Scream relaunch. It's not a Scream movie without Nev Campbell, and we're excited to exclusively report today that the actress has signed on to reprise her iconic role as Sidney Prescott in Spyglass Media Group and Paramount Pictures' upcoming relaunch of the Scream film franchise. Campbell joins previously announced Legacy cast members David Arquette and Courtney Cox, who will return as Dewey Riley and Gail Weathers, as well as new cast members Jack Quaid, Melissa Barrera, Jenna Ortega, Kyle Gallner, Dylan Minnette, and also a returning character from Screen 4, Marley Shelton's Judy Hicks. Pete Hammond in Deadline writes, Oscar shakes up Best Picture eligibility standards. Strict new diversity requirements take full effect in 2024. Quote, as promised when the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences announced its Academy Aperture 2025 initiative in June, new standards of representation and inclusion have been announced by the Academy today that will gradually be put in place for the 94th and 95th Oscars, but full effect will begin with the 96th Academy Awards in 2024, and its most dramatic swing towards true diversity Oscar is laying down significant requirements in order to be eligible for Hollywood's most sought-after prize, Best Picture. Filmmakers and producers don't have to meet all of the requirements of the new doctrine, just half. Cameron Faulkner in The Verge writes, AMC's The Walking Dead will end after 11 seasons. The Walking Dead television series on AMC that debuted nearly 10 years ago will end after 11 seasons. While that might be bleak news for fans, there are still some episodes to watch before it all comes to an end. Variety and Entertainment Weekly both report that the final season will consist of 24 episodes, debuting in late 2021. Between now and then, fans will be treated to 7 episodes for the 10th season, one of which is the finale airing on October 4th, followed by 6 bonus episodes airing in early 2021. Dave McNary in Variety writes, Host filmmaker Rob Savage signs three-picture deal with Blumhouse. 
Jason Blum's Blumhouse has signed a three-picture deal with host director Rob Savage and will finance and partner with Savage to produce the films. Savage will be collaborating with the same team behind host, including producer Douglas Cox, the writing team of Jed Shepard and Gemma Hurley, and editor Brianna Rangot. Quote, We've been tracking Rob's work for some time now, and when I got a look at host, I saw the inventiveness in his work that Ryan Turek on Blumhouse team had been championing. We are looking forward to getting this partnership underway immediately, Jason Blum said. And that concludes your last week's news update. Did you know that we have our own YouTube channel? There, we upload video reviews of the latest television shows or movies, and even some Let's Plays. Lately, we have been focused heavily on our curated horror content. But we have a goal to get to 100 subscribers by the end of the year, and it would mean everything to the team to reach our goal. Simply search The Borough Reviews on YouTube and make sure to subscribe and ring the bell if you enjoy the content. The Borough Reviews, your movie refuge. All right, so let's dive into all of the Scream 5 news that we got in like that 24-hour period because that was insanity. I mean, it was like article after article. I don't know if you were seeing those like break oh, yeah. live. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, in live time, like reading the article, like I didn't like, you know, I catch one of the articles at the very end of the day where it was like, you know, uh, so much casting news look at who we've got coming back for screen five and whatnot i literally had my i have my my notifications turned on for bloody disgusting so every time they tweet i get a notification and so i literally watched nev campbell's like casting come in and then i watched you know marley shelton's casting come in and then i watched like dylan minette and kyle gallner's casting notification come in and i'm like oh my god like could you not space this out at all like (laughs) And especially with like pushing it to January 2022, like what was the thought behind that? Why were we, I mean, okay, I know why, because the directors and or the studio went to Bloody Disgusting exclusively with Nev Campbell's casting. Then they went over to Deadline and confirmed that Marley Shelton was returning um, and gave them the exclusive for that one. So they were like dishing out exclusives to like all these different places um and like i guess that that's fine it's a little weird but um i don't know i don't remember the last time that i've seen that happen other than like when studios give um you know uh some of the trades like promotional images other than that like i've never seen them do it with casting news like that before so I don't know. You got bombarded with all of that stuff, all of that casting news in such a a limited amount of time. How did you feel when we got confirmation that Nev Campbell was coming back and then also that Marley Shelton from Scream 4 was coming back? Okay, I'll try to break it down the best that I can because like you said, that was so overwhelming. Like when When I first saw the casting news, it was on Facebook and it was about Nev Campbell. So I was feeling like super excited. Like, yes, they finally got Nev Campbell. That was the one character that, you know, people were holding back on. We, we knew that they were having some problems getting her back on. And so when it was finally confirmed that they had signed her on and that she's going to be in Scream 5, I was so, so excited. And then I, you know, I kept scrolling on Facebook. And then they're like, Marley Shelton's coming back as Judy Hicks. And then I was like, why? 
<laughs> like, you know, in, in retrospect, it makes sense. If a character survives one of the screen movies, they do tend to come back for the sequel. Where's Patrick for, Dempsey then? Right. Okay. I was going to say that, Jared. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I figured she was going to pull a Patrick Dempsey and not show up. I mean, she yeah, was one of those too. characters that I seriously did not give a second thought to because quite frankly, I didn't really care about her character one way or another. But yeah, and so they said she was going to be back, and I was like, okay, it. I guess it makes sense since they're staying in Woodsboro, which is probably why Patrick Dempsey's character didn't come back in Scream Four mm-hmm. because he still lives in California. Or well, duh. I mean, Woodsboro's in California. I should say Hollywood. He lives in Hollywood, and they went back to Woodsboro, so maybe that's why. Patrick Dempsey wasn't in screen four, but I'm going strictly off of like location, like conveniency theories here. Like maybe Marley Shelton's character is coming back strictly because they're still in Woodsboro and she was a cop there. So, you know, I, like I told Jared, I kind of hope that she's the opening kill because I really don't want her to be there the whole time. So, (laughs) you know, so bad in like screen one of the weakest okay like her and all actually all of the cops all even even dewey to a certain extent in scream 4 pissed me off because like dewey's spending like half of his time driving and i'm like dude where are you going like why are you in the car right now like do you remember the the whole like barn sequence when he's like on the road and then like sydney's dealing with shit at her house and then he's back on the road and then like and i'm like dude where are you like <laughs> what why are he's you like i don't want to do this again yeah well no it's like i swear I, and it's probably not true but at least 25 percent of his scenes to me felt like they were in the car obviously it's not that it, high of a true, percentage but... but like no, but like that's what it felt like because there was I think it was just the third act that he was in his car and we only saw him like driving around to like, you know, try and get to Sydney at the end or like trying to get to Gale and I'm like, okay, come on, like can can we give him something other to do than just driving a car? Anyway, that's my rant about that. I mean, but- I could have forgiven the whole car thing if not for the absolute disrespect he was giving his own wife. Like, this isn't the Dewey we have grown to know and love. This is an asshole sheriff. Do you want to be an asshole sheriff or do you want to be Dewey? And yeah. Yeah. No, that that's what pissed me off in Scream 4 about his character. Like, come on, man. You know your wife is right. Calm down. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you bring up an, an interesting point, though. Um, historically whoever the that fourth character so we have our legacy characters right we have david arquette courtney cox and nev campbell all reprising their roles each movie now usually there's one other person so it rounds out you know a cast of four survivors and usually that fourth survivor for instance in the first one you know randy jamie kennedy's character uh dies in the second um, you know, we have right. Cotton, Cotton Weary in the second, who then, you know, dies in the third. Mm-hmm. Um, and historically, that's been kind of what they've done with the trilogies. And so I kind of think that she will probably not make it out of this movie. But I just wonder when it'll happen. I don't think she'll be the opening kill. God, um, shockingly why? enough, I, I do not think that she will be. But- I mean, it, fair enough, you know, fair enough. Maybe she will, maybe she won't. I know that, like, 
you know, lately with the screen movies, I've been trying to go down a different route. So maybe this is a little bit too pattern-esque for them. So mm-hmm. I don't, I'm still holding out hope because uh, you saw a tweet from a very particular individual. Um, do you want to elaborate on that tweet that you saw from one of the original cast members of Scream? And then do you want, you want to like also elaborate on how you think, uh, how you perceive that tweet? Like, is that going to come up something in Scream 5? Or do you think it was just an offhanded remark? I think this was another effect by all the overwhelming news that we got in regards to casting. Keep in mind, um, at the time, besides the main trio, we only had, what, two, three other cast members. And now we have... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight cast members aside from the main trio and aside from Marley Shelton. Like that's how many people are casted now. If that even shows you how many (laughs) people were, you know, casted just, you know, a few days ago. But Mm -hmm. uh, the tweet that Jared was talking about was a tweet from Matthew Lillard. Uh, I followed him and I saw that he had tweeted right after that. I mean, it was just a TV, right? You think he'd survive with a hashtag Stu. So obviously he's talking about his character, Stu, from the first scream, who, spoiler alert, was one of the killers. Uh, (laughs) So I was just telling Jared, like, do you think he's going to be coming back? Do you think he didn't really die? So... I mean, you know, in the end, I I do think it was just kind of like, you know, bringing attention to the screen franchise, bringing attention to his character, which is totally fine. I mean, Matthew Lillard is king. He can do whatever he wants. Um, But it, it to me, it just seemed a little weird. Like if Stu was alive, why would he have waited so long to, you know, say anything? I mean, in the second one, it took place at you know, a college and the third one, it took place in Hollywood, but in the fourth one, they were back in Woodsboro. So, I mean, he had like ample Mm -hmm. opportunity to do something. So it just Mm -hmm. made me really curious. Like if this is like totally, totally serious, like what took so long and what are they even going to do with his character? Yeah. Um, I don't think they have anything to do with this character other than maybe, and we were talking about this a little beforehand too, but if you're going down that route of giving people cameos, then you, my issue with that is then it feels like you have to do every single, you know, fan favorite character, right? So does that mean that Matthew Lillard and Jamie Kennedy are going to come back and have a little bit, maybe like a little home video kind of, you know, similar to what Randy had done in Scream 3 and do a cameo that way that takes place in the past, but is technically still them coming back and filming new scenes. Uh, That would be a little weird. They look much different than they did back then. Um, Yeah. (laughs) That's uh, two decades ago, a little over two decades ago. And they don't look like the same people necessarily. I mean, obviously they look like themselves, but what I'm saying is like time has done a number on them too, unfortunately, (laughs) just like it'll do for all of us. But I, I mean, Matthew Lillard still looks pretty similar, but Jamie Kennedy does not. So (laughs) uh, I don't think you can really fake that one. They did a pretty good job in Scream 3 of doing it, but I think that's, that's your cameo for Randy. And I think it should stay at that. And also, 
if you know we are going to get another casting you know uh, breaking news casting developments in scream five going forward what else is there left to shock people really i mean think about it we we've got so much news packed into just this past month alone that Mm -hmm. they really don't have anything else to announce until the film comes out basically um obviously you know there'll be probably a trailer about three months beforehand so we'll probably get that at the end of next year and beyond that like what else do we have i mean i guess like for people that are interested in it you know marco beltrami who is the composer for the scream movies if he comes back and and he composes the score i mean that would make me more excited um but that's not going to mean anything to the average you know fan of scream like someone who doesn't follow like who isn't involved in like the inside of like hollywood and like you know really goes deep on who's doing what in terms of production like that's not going to mean anything to the general audience so you you've like kind of like let everything out of the bag way earlier than i thought they were going to um i really do think that they should have held nev campbell off for quite some time and they chose not to yeah i mean now that i'm like kind of thinking about it like if they are you know, bringing back Matthew Lillard's character, like, the only reason I can really see him coming back is kind of, like, as a tribute to the first movie, you know, like, like you said, like, a cameo spot, like, maybe they're, like, grabbing old characters and, like, maybe doing some type of, like, a full circle thing. Um, That's really the only thing I can think of. But, like you said, I mean, the first movie came out in the mid-90s. The last time we saw these characters was in, like, 96, 97. So, obviously, they're a lot older, a lot more different. So, <clears throat> I I just don't really know what they're planning on doing there. And, you know, maybe it is just Matthew Lillard just, you know, bringing attention to Screams with all the stuff going on, um, which would, you know, be really cool on his end because it, it is one of my favorite roles that he's played because it's so different from what he usually does. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it... I just, I don't get why they're implying that Stu is coming back and why they officially casted Judy Hicks back, but there's still no Kirby. Th- now, this is bothering me. Uh, <laughs> this is really fucking bothering me. I know. Uh, you really think that people are going to be that excited? Okay, Marley Shelton is not a bad actress. I just, I just want to put that out there. Um, she's a pretty solid actor and, you know, going down the list of her, dis- you know, uh, discography is not, is it's not bad. Right. Um, but the way that her character was written in the fourth one, I, I don't know anyone who says that she was their favorite character. You know what I mean? Like she's not a fan favorite necessarily. And so coming out with the news that Nev Campbell like is returning like completely overshadowed Marley Sheldon and it would have for, for everyone. But my point here is that like you didn't stagger that. So people didn't really respond as positively to Marley Sheldon coming back because that little bit of news piece on its own would have been interesting just because, I mean, we, we talked about this. We didn't even think about it. Like I thought that that was her one movie and then she was done and survived. But like, she was not a you know even a thought in my brain no about like any any anything of casting news so 
it just doesn't make sense why they did Nev Campbell and then they did Marley Shelton and then they did all these other people who I do <laughs> want to talk about when we get a moment. But before yeah, I mean, that, like you uh, said, uh, I totally think it's like pretty much the writer's fault. I, I mean, most of the characters in Scream 4 were really well written. You could tell who they were trying to like pay homage to in the first movie. They were pretty likable characters. It just, it totally feels like Judy Hicks is a very second thought to the writers when they were writing Scream 4. But I feel like with what she got, Martley Shelton did her best to, to bring the character on screen. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, the, the writers really did not give her a whole lot to go off on in her defense. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, the one thing that it does positively, it does make me think that they are likely going to try and bring Kirby back if they can at all possible. You know, if if Hayden is interested in doing it i have no doubt in my mind yeah i (laughs) I don't know but the fact that again the fact that back in january she posted something about kirby you know and and like had a new haircut like it's a little you know it's a little suspicious like it's a little early too yeah um (laughs) (laughs) but i i i guess this gives us more of an idea of what they're trying to maybe do with this if it's I would assume casting Marley Shelton implies that they're going to pick up, you know, somewhat right after the events of Scream 4. Um, It doesn't, probably not within like a year or anything, but I definitely think that they're going to pick up like and continue that storyline, which makes me really excited. But, you know, her being cast just means that it's more likely for Hayden Panettiere to come back now. And that makes me excited. But okay. I did want to talk about the other cast because the other cast is super interesting and I'm calling it right now. Dylan Minnette is the killer. 100%. You really think so? I I do. I do. I haven't even like read a, you know, um, character description or anything, but I'm, I'm, I have a suspicion. I have a itching inclination that Dylan Minnette, is definitely Ghostface. He's too cute. Exactly. That's the point. Oh. <laughs> I think I, you're I think hot. I, you're I, probably gonna kill someone. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Well, here's my reasoning: is Kyle Gallner like already plays that bad boy trope, and oh, like, yeah. the, the, so he comes off as like, um, you know. Uh, jill jill's boyfriend in scream four right like those are the kind of vibes i get from him like just extreme red herring like too easy to be him right i mean i i have seen him as like a a bad character he was great and let me in like he even kind of freaked me out he was he was just a bully but he was considered like the main antagonist in that movie i Mm -hmm. really do like let me in and Honestly, him as a bully, he would have scared me shitless if I was a kid. Like, he really would if He was so ruthless and, like, friggin' crazy. So, I mean, he could be a killer if if they just so decide he he should be. But I don't want him to be. He's, he's played such nice people now. And you know he's such a sweetheart in real life. Ugh, fine. He can be a killer, I guess. It'll just hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um 
we also have Jasmine Savoy Brown and then Mikey Madison from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, who actually mm-hmm. was one of the more interesting parts of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I didn't necessarily care for that movie too much, but I did really like her role. And I, you know, now seeing her being cast here, like, I think that they're lining up a pretty solid cast, to be honest, which is something that you you kind of have to do. But you could even look at Scream 3 which had an amazing cast. I mean, we're talking Patrick Dempsey. We're talking Parker Posey. We're talking like, you know, all of these people, Lance Henriksen, for God's sake. Like we're talking all of these. Jenny McCarthy back when she was relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, All of, (laughs) I forgot about her because she's, Uh yeah, she's the second kill in that movie anyway. Uh, But yeah, no, I, you can have a good cast and still screw up in places. So I'm not saying that the fact that they have a good cast means it'll be a good movie. Don't, don't misconstrue my words, but what I am saying is that at least that's a solid foundation because chances are there's going to be a new character that, you know, we really, really like And it's kind of a staple of the franchise, to be honest, you know, there's usually one or two new characters that they introduce that you're like, fuck, I really hope they don't die. But they more times than not end up do dying indeed. So, I mean, yeah, like, like you said, Scream has this type of formula when it comes to characters. Every single movie they have, they have awesome casting, you know, really good actors and actresses who, who you could recognize from movies and TV shows that you're watching, especially mm-hmm. in Scream 4 with their false openings. They had so many cameos of, of like Anna Paquin, Kristen Bell, the pretty little liars people, you know, it, but they also focus really heavily on character development, even if they're only on screen for a few seconds. You know, they they try to make them likable characters, characters that you that you remember, uh, no matter how long they've been on screen. And the one time they messed up, we got Scream Three, <laughs> and so it's like it's like they learned their lesson and then you know tried harder for Scream 4, and then we got Scream 4, which was, you know, 10 times better with the characters. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think you you put, you put brought up a really good point with that. Yeah. Um, l- last thing uh, with Scream 5, I, I'm so excited for it. Um, and one of the cool little, I guess, it's not really, like, um, confirmed or anything, so don't take what I'm saying is, like, true. But uh, I did see, like, um, someone post a possible opening for Scream 5. Um, and that opening involved Sydney, in fact, dying. But, but, it it took a meta approach, kind of like Scream 4 did, it, when it opened, you know, within a TV show within a TV show or actually a movie, I guess a movie within a movie. Um, it's kind of taking that concept, but instead of like Sydney actually dying, she's on the set of one of the stab movies and like her character is finally dying in, in stab. And we watch that scene in stab, but then it cuts to the actual production of the, like of the movie. I thought that would be really cool and a, and a way to like really grab people's attention. I think it's a little bit too easy and a little bit too safe. So I don't think they'll probably end up doing that, but how cool of a concept would that be to like take that meta-ness that Scream 4 had and all of, 
all of the Scream movies for that matter, but to take it and really run with it again, because you talk about Scream 4 to anyone who really likes Scream or even horror fans in general, and typically they're going to point to Scream 4's opening as the best, you know, aspect of Scream 4. And if they pick up that staple, like, I think it's just, it's a good way to uh, measure the the film's momentum and like where it's going and scream 4 didn't really stop after that opening and i really like think if they come out strong like that they'll have a hit yeah i think that'd be like kind of oddly poetic for sydney for for that to happen to her and i know we've talked about her God, this is going to sound messed up when we say it. We've talked about her dying a lot <laughs> on here since since the news of Scream 5 coming out. But between you and me, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I don't know if I'm actually like mentally ready for her to die. Like I I have this gut feeling that it's going to happen. And with that with that clip that you're talking about, I honestly think it's kind of like a marketing ploy because I know they did that with the characters in Scream the TV series. They just kind of did that for commercials and stuff. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, that is like a really cool idea. And I think that if slash when <laughs> Sydney dies, that they should go along the lines of that. But I just I don't know if I'm actually like ready for her death quite yet. Cause that's going to. Yeah. It's going to hit me in the freaking gut. It will. Do you remember watching Scream 4 for the first time? I specifically remember watching it in theaters. And um, the moment that Jill stabs her, I, I think my jaw was on the floor. Like, I, I was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> like, oh, my God. And then when she was, like, laying on the kitchen, like, floor, like, just, like, not moving at all, not really breathing, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I like almost felt that knife in my gut too. I I just, you know, it it took me a bat. I was just like, no, Emma Roberts did not freaking kill Sydney. That would have been so fucking annoying. But no, I would have hated that. (laughs) It was like a prolonged version of Scream because she's shot in Scream 3, but it happened so quickly that you're in shock, but then you quickly realize that she's not dead. Uh, in Scream 4, they pl- they draw it out. They're, like, drawing the fuck out of it. And, like, you're like, oh, my God. Like, they're taking too long to reveal that she's actually alive. Are, are, are we sure that she's not actually dead? Like, brilliant, brilliant move on their part. Oh, yeah. So- no, that that kind of killed me a little inside. Uh, yeah, no, it just... Sydney Camp... Sydney Campbell? Oh, my God. I almost called Sydney her by Campbell. her scary movie. <laughs> I am so sorry. Uh, Sydney Prescott, not Anna Ferris. Sydney Prescott, she's one of the most <laughs> admirable screen queens out there because she's she's kind of like living proof of what you can do with trauma. You know, with, with most horror movies where they have sequels of like the screen queen coming back, she has like the obvious PTSD, you know, the depression, all that, which is fine. It is an accurate pro- portrayal. I mean, it's tough. But with Sydney, she's got this really strong, like, kind of fighter in her. And after everything that's happened to her, you can see in Scream 3 that she's actually a counselor for, for women, which I thought was just, like, the best job that you can give someone in her position. It was just really admirable just to kind of see her help others 
with what she's been through and just, you know, yeah. seeing her use her experiences to just kind of move forward and, and make the world a better place. So I think with all that being said, I think that is kind of what's going to kill me mm-hmm. is watching her die because I just, she's, she's my favorite. I love her. Yeah, I really like I would be devastated if she did. I I I hope they don't. But like that pseudo opening of her dying, but then us realizing that it's just a movie. She's like filming a scene for stab and then she's just in the background the rest of the movie. Um, you know, guiding the characters along. I think that that's the appropriate thing to do. I don't think you really should probably kill Sydney Prescott. If anything, you need to probably just write her off in a really like beautiful way. Um Yeah kind of like they did with like Paul Walker, for instance. I mean, the obviously different circumstances here and Nev Campbell's not dead, but what I'm saying is like, as long as you do it in a way that's thoughtful and really pays respect to the legacy that she's left. Um, I have no problem, you know, going into stream six with completely new cast. If that is the case, if they are to do it and do it right. Right. I mean, if they do end up killing her, so be it. But just please, please, please watch yourself on how on how she goes. This isn't just like some random character that you want to make like into like a gore fest or you know just another body count. This is someone who's been in this movie for the long run. She is basically the actual face of the franchise. So yeah, you you gotta really tiptoe around about how how her ending plays out because that that is. Very, very important. Yeah, it, I agree. Okay. Ooh, um, 30 <laughs> minutes of stream talk. Love it. I <laughs> um, do too. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, that, that was really big news from this week. Um, but we actually have more big news from this week. So the Oscars have definitely been in the battlefield regarding, you know, for instance, a few years ago, uh, the Oscar so white campaign. Um, and I wouldn't even call it really a campaign. It was just a hashtag and a little bit of a movement. Um, but you know, for a long time in Hollywood and in the industry, it's been especially like exclusive to people of color, to black people, to women. And there's been calls for the Academy to do something for years now. Really, it really did pick up steam with the Oscar so white hashtag. And the Academy wasn't really ready to respond to the changing times in the way that they really needed to do so to win over people that had lost faith in the industry. Um, Because what ends up happening at these things, you know, uh, we can look to the Moonlight and La La Land controversy back in 2016. Um, And technically, I think that would have been the 2017 Oscars. But with that that whole scare where for a moment people thought that La La Land had just won best picture. Um, it really took people back to, you know, those negative thoughts that they had about the Academy and their preconceived notions about how underrepresented and underrepresentative and marginalized in- individuals, both in the industry and in America are constantly put down. And so there were, there were calls, you know, what, Hey, the Academy, hello, wake up. Like, what are you doing? Like to change this? Why has there not been a black 
director nominated or actually not nominated i apologize but why has there not been a, a win for a black director for best director at the academy i mean come on like what what are we doing here and what can we do to change this and make it a different landscape so that everyone has equal opportunity across the board to have the same chance at at getting that feeling of winning that oscar like that's a big deal for a lot of people a lot of filmmakers both you know in front and behind of the camera and whether you're an actor in front or whether you're a director or um, a producer behind the scenes, behind the camera, it's it's a big deal either way. And so the Oscars have now responded directly to this issue of exclusivity within their eligibility. And basically, they have provided a list of criteria, a list of four criteria that you you must have at least two of the four criteria in order for your film to be considered to you know to be nominated for an academy award and it was kind of a monumental move on twitter we saw a lot of backlash from people we saw a lot of joy and um a, a lot of just differing opinions on both sides about what this means going forward for hollywood well let me tell you um I think I, I'm landing more on the side of this doesn't do nearly enough, and I'll explain why it doesn't do nearly enough. Uh, and beyond that, these eligibility standards are going to take full effect in 2024. So it's not even like this is going to happen in the next year or so. Like this is, we're still a few years out from this being, you know, solidified. But I, I do want to list off the standards here, and then I want to get your take, Linda, because this is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so in order for a film to be nominated and able to win an Academy Award, you have to meet four criteria, um, or at least two of the four criteria that I'm about to list. So standard A, the first criteria, on-screen representation, themes, and narratives. To achieve standard A... The film must meet one of the following, have a lead or significant supporting actor that is part of a underrepresentative racial or ethnic group. You have a general ensemble cast that at least 30% of all actors in secondary and more minor roles, um, you know, are from underrepresented groups. So like women, uh, people of color, LGBT people. And then the third stipulation to the first criteria is a main storyline or a subject matter that revolves around one of the underrepresented groups. So it could be a story centering around like women's health or like gay rights, anything like that. So for standard A, for the first criteria, you have to have at least one of those checked off in order to meet that first criteria. And again, you only need two of the four criteria in order to still get your nomination. Um, so if that's a problem for you, standard B, the second criteria comes in and it's creative leadership and project team. So to achieve standard B, you must have one of the following stipulations. You must have creative leadership and department heads that are, you know, underrepresented groups, part of them. And you, you must, um, otherwise have other key roles. Um, and the other key roles are defined as at least six other crew slash team and technical positions, um, excluding production assistance from an underrepresented like racial or ethnic group. 
These positions include, but are not limited to, first AD, gaffer, script supervisor, anything that goes on behind the scenes that basically you're not just, you know, an intern working on a set, grabbing the director coffee. Um, and the overall crew composition is the third stipulation to the the first cri- or the second criteria, criteria B, and that just basically says um, that at least thirty percent of the film crew is from an underrepresented group. So let's say you have a movie and you are um, casting, and you cast at least six people that are LGBT, that are women, um, that are, you know, black, um, or middle Eastern for that matter. And you have at least six from those categories, you automatically meet that second criteria. And then if your movie is centered around, let's say women's health or, you know, gay rights, uh, you get, you get criteria a as well. So right there, you hit already two out of the four criteria. Do you see how easy that is? But it gets even worse. Standard C, um, the third criteria, uh, industry access and opportunities. So basically, uh, the first stipulation of that is paid apprenticeships and internship opportunities. So if you are giving, you know, your internships in your, you know, distribution in, in the production company, anything like that, um, basically, if you have like women interns, LGBT interns, and uh, you have paid internships. It, it has to be definitely paid internships or apprenticeships for these. But if you have anyone that has a paid apprenticeship or internship that is not a white male, they basically hit criteria C already. And beyond that, the the second stipulation is just training opportunities. So the film's production, distribution, and financing company offers training and or work opportunities for below the line skill development to people from the following underrepresented groups. So basically this is just saying if you are a financing company, if you're a production company, distribution company, whatever it is, as long as you're hiring, um, you know, uh, marginalized individuals, women, gay people, you're going to automatically hit criteria C. So that's pretty easy. If you ask me, um, considering that, as far as I know, most of the insiders of Hollywood that work at these companies say that this is already something that's happening. So basically, criteria C is given. And then we get to criteria D, which is audience development. To achieve standard D, the fourth criteria, the film must meet um, these several stipulations. Uh, represent- representation in marketing, publicity and distribution, Um and that could, again, include, you know, women, Asians, Hispanics, black people, um, gay people, people with physical disabilities, for instance. Um, and as long as the company has multiple in-house senior executives from among the following underrepresented groups that I just listed on their marketing, publicity, and or distribution teams, you automatically hit standard D. So I'm telling you right now, most films are already going to hit criteria C and criteria D. So even if they're not focusing their story on women's health or gay rights or something like that, they're going to still probably be eligible. There was this whole backlash on Twitter about, you know, if you're making these, if you're basically putting these into effect, um, things like the Irishman aren't going to get nominated. You know, things like, um, oh, I don't know, 
Um, name any movie, you know, from the last, uh, I guess, from all of Hollywood um, that focuses on like white men. And chances are, if they're from the past like 20 years, uh, they're probably going to hit criteria C and criteria D already. Um, so it's not that revolutionary. And I, I'm kind of confused at why people are taking this to be such a like monumental step for, I mean, I'll give them credit that at least they're starting to shift the focus of what we're doing, not just um, on film sets, but also in distribution, in production, and in the industry in general. So that was a shift that I really did appreciate. But again, these things aren't difficult. You know, Netflix, Netflix's PR team, for instance, is compromised is comprised of, if I'm not mistaken, the majority of like the majority of them are women. So. I'm just saying like, it's easy. It's not difficult to hit two out of these four criteria. And so for people to be like um, mad and upset at the fact that, you know, it might change the makeup of the production of some of these films, uh, I think it's a little ridiculous. And the Irishman under these criteria probably still would have been nominated regardless. It would have been eligible. So that's my little rant. Um, I just wanted to uh, let you know, I know (laughs) Very long-winded, but I wanted to go through each of those with you and tell you a little bit about them. That way, you know and you have the information provided that it's not as harsh as people are making it out to be. Linda, what did you think of these? Um, I didn't really think through it as passionately as you did, but uh, <laughs> um, so from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, by the way. But from my understanding, I think what they wanted us to believe they were trying to do is uh, that they're trying to, like, give people in the industry who are struggling, like, a real chance for something big like an Oscar win. Um, Because a lot of people in minority groups like LGBT, uh, different ethnicity, women, uh, they, they usually, you know, they're a lot harsher to them, whether you believe it or not. That's that's the reality Look at the numbers. of it. Unfortunately, Look at exactly. what's been nominated. Like it's not hard to figure out and determine like who's been propped up and who's been prioritized. Like exactly, really. and that's why so many like underrated directors, underrated people in in the industry, all in all, are usually reduced to like indie films, uh, low budget features things like that and and i think they were trying to have us believe that they're they're giving you know those people an actual an actual chance and really if you look if you read between the lines they're really giving giving everyone the bare minimum yes like like you said like you know if you hire one person who's in the lgbt community you're you know already nominated if you if you have one minor subplot about like you said women's rights you're nominated and i think they're trying to go about it like oh we're actually putting these people in actual consideration so the movies aren't so whitewashed aren't so male dominated when really you need one female on set and they're like all right let's give them an oscar and it's like they're they're going so lazily about it and and i've actually been reading tweets that are like uh, <laughs> uh they you know kirstie alley for example 
<laughs> she she hates this because she says it's going to basically put well-deserved directors in in the back seat and it's like it's really not they 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 have to do the bare minimum cuz they they really could not stress enough you don't have to meet all the criteria just what like two of them two out of the four it's yeah, yeah. and it's like that's not hard if if the if the best oscar winning directors want to win that oscar they just need to hire two people who aren't white men and they're they're nominated also it, let's keep in mind too that they technically can still have a a film of all white people and still be eligible to be nominated by these criteria standards because right, didn't again, they say that they need like a at least like some type of storyline involving no um, no 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 so that's like so there is a stipulation about like a particular like if you're focusing on 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 for instance an underrepresented groups like um story uh, that would be considered there's one that's talking about like your actual like filming like your filmmaking crew and like who you've hired to do some of those positions oh the right right half of it is all studio and all distribution so if your distributor for your film is let's say netflix for instance they already have they you basically are going to hit that criteria automatically so you can still make a film about all white people with all white men and still be eligible to like basically be nominated for an oscar which is why like i don't think it goes nearly far enough um i don't want to of course i don't want to limit you know what people are making and like say that just because you have a film of all white people, it's going to be bad or, you know, something because it's not probably, but what I am saying though, is like your, how the, how the industry has functioned thus far is pushing down um, unique stories and unique perspectives in favor of this kind of um, watered down white capitalistic like perspective that we've had in so many of our like specifically our um you know films here in the the united states for instance uh it's 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 this kind of it's it's blatant it's blatant ignorance is what it is and i say that because half the time people you you know what you're doing like if you're a director and you're not hiring anyone of color or you know women on set like you know what you're doing you basically have to try not to hit these criteria and that's kind of my complaint with it um i think what is bigger news is when they actually like you know last year and the year before for instance when they invited thousands of new members into the academy voting voting block because what that did is you saw the shift from 20 2016 2017 to you know 2018 and 2019 and even this year i mean parasite swept the oscars this year let's not forget and that is a korean film and it won best foreign film and best you know best picture at the academy and i think the reason for that is because the academy voting block is changing because we're allowing more you know, underrepresented and and marginalized individuals to actually vote on on these films, and I think that's that's more impactful for this purpose than these criteria are, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and I mean, like you said, they they are stepping in the right direction. It's just the bottom line. If you are paying attention to what's going on, it really just feels like they want to do the right thing. They want to push for more diversity and everything, but they're also at the same time cowering Yeah. to, to you know, not, you know, be thought badly of by, by the Racist. big people. Yeah, by exactly. Racist. And and sexist, like that's what I like. Why are we catering to those people? I I've never understood that. And you don't like, have to tiptoe around them, like no. And they're like, racist. And this is probably the most like political this podcast has been up to this point. But there is no way to like skirt around it with this news. And like, and I'm by the way, I'm not like okay, low key. I kind of hate the Democrats. So like, I'm not even one of those people that's like, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm liberal this and liberal that and liberal, liberal, liberal. I, that's not me. But what I, what I am is uh human rights and decency and equal opportunity. And which um, honestly shouldn't even be a political thing, but somehow we've managed to turn it into it. But you know, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I, I just think that they, this is a step in the right direction. It's kind of, um, empty though. Uh, oh yeah, it's totally an empty gesture. It is. Uh, and I just, I feel like we need to keep working. This isn't the end and we should keep pressing the Academy on doing more for inclusivity. But I guess if you're starting here, fine. They definitely need a push. Yeah, I, I'm beginning to think that they need a fall too. Um, like, <laughs> like I don't think the push is enough. I think you have to kind of come down. Like, yeah. but um, yeah. So there's that bit of news for the week. Uh, let's talk about something like a little less like intensive. How about we? I mean, we went from Scream to the Academy. Why don't we talk about The Walking Dead? Because The Walking Dead is ending with season eleven. Uh, and it is ending in early 2021. Well, I guess I guess not early 2021, but at the end of that season, that is going to start back up in 2021. Um, yeah, so we'll have 24 episodes in 2021 in total, and then the show's gone. Uh, good. I, <laughs> I, I, don't know, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I really liked that show for such a long time. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, but eventually it just kind of wore thin. I, I don't like it. I, I really don't like The Walking Dead. I have tried so, so hard to like it because, I mean, it's a zombie TV show, which at the time was like a huge deal. I know now we, yeah. yeah, but now we have like a million of them. I just... I'm a strong believer that it's hard to make a decent zombie show with decent storylines that doesn't feel like you're pulling random stuff out of your ass just to get ratings. Yeah. I, I don't think a zombie plot is a good plot for a TV show just in general. Like there's not a whole lot that you can be doing without having to make outrageous plot lines, which I yeah. know like zombies already an outrageous plot line, but it's, it's hard. And I don't blame them for trying. I mean, in their defense, they had a good run. They have high ratings and they're a very popular TV show. So they, they did do good. It just, you know, wasn't my taste, which is fine. I mean, uh, Lane's 
kind of a fan of it. He hasn't watched it in a while, but he he did like it when he was watching it. I know my mom and her husband are like huge fans of it, so they're yeah. probably super bummed. Well, this was something that me and my mom watched every Sunday. And Aww. for those who like know my mom, she was not a horror person. And I convinced her to basically, I just threw on The Walking Dead. Um, I think it was like halfway into the second season, I threw on The Walking Dead. And slowly but surely, she would sit in the kitchen and she would look at the TV and she would make dinner and she wasn't really paying attention. But slowly over the course of that season, she started to watch more and more. And then by the time the season finale came around, she uh, was sitting on the couch next to me watching. And ever since then, like she, she watched, you know, all the seasons up until I, I think the end of season seven, that was, and uh, it, it, it's really actually easy, accessible horror, uh, yeah. which we don't get a lot of, you know, especially for like network television, right? And so I think for a lot of people, mm-hmm. The Walking Dead is just an easy access point for a, a little dabble in horror entertainment, right? And right. I, so to see it end in season 11, I'm glad it is because I think it should have ended probably after the fifth or sixth season. I think there there was a story in there somewhere and the main problem was they didn't have an end and they tried to make it like, you know, your serialized tele episodic television, like house or like, you know, your cop dramas, your medical dramas and just have it keep going forever and ever. But the, but the plot, the actual plot of the walking dead and being in that universe, it doesn't necessarily equal 11 season it it doesn't necessarily equal an episodic television that can go on for a television show that can go on for like years and years right yeah. it's there there has to be an end at some point and because they didn't find that they lost a lot of viewership in the past few seasons and i know their new showrunner has done an amazing job at getting some of those viewers back and on board and i kind of feel bad for her actually that they're canceling it now but for those who really, really like the show, you're still going to get, apparently, um, a, a Carol and Daryl spinoff show. I don't know why we're doing that, but... Okay, I, I am so sorry. I thought I was crazy because Fear the Walking Dead is already a spinoff of The Walking Dead. Yeah. So I was wondering, why why are you guys making another spinoff of this? Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought that up. And, and Fear the Walking Dead is uh, actually quite good. Um, I, they've hit their peak in the past two seasons, which means that they probably should be done here in the next like one or two. Um, basically, I'm gonna spoil this for you, Linda. If you don't want me to, I apologize, and for anyone else, but That's all fine. of all of your main cast members from Fear of the Walking Dead are gone except one. Like they're they they died because the Fear of the Walking Dead took place, you know, in the early outbreak where it was just complete madness. And, uh, so like all but one of those characters is dead and, um, it was quite revolutionary because I mean, it was just killing, I mean, it did not care. Like, you know, everyone thought that the walking dead didn't care for the longest time, but, but, and then you realize that they kind of do care who they're killing off and they're not just going to kill off anyone as evidenced by, Andrew Lincoln's exit, you know, a couple seasons prior where they were going to kill him off, but then a helicopter swoops in and picks him up. And then he's just off the show because that's how they had to write him off. Um, 
so that he could come back and do his uh, Rick Grimes uh, movie feature film spinoffs. I don't even know what the status is on those. Oh my god! Um, but they're doing too much in terms of spinoff, and I love I love the character of Daryl, and I I think Carol's um, that the character of Carol played by uh, Melissa McBride is honestly one of the probably the strongest character arc that the show had. I do agree with. We're reading an article off of The Verge here. Um, from Cameron Faulkner and he says that uh you know Carol had the best like character arc in the show and I would agree with that uh and so they're getting their own spin-off show outside of this which I guess fine for those who really like are going to miss The Walking Dead I guess that'll be a way to kind of keep in touch but they're also doing a Tales of the Walking Dead spin-off which is a completely like separate anthology like series following people different people that there's a possibility of some of the you know killed off cast members coming back and like doing an episode of that and it's interesting but like i don't see that i don't see the reason for it because i don't think they're going to get the viewership they want out of it so i don't know why you would even go through the trouble of doing it now if you were to take a break and the walking dead and come back in five years six years and do Tales from the Walking Dead. I think that would be really interesting. And it would also give the actors a little bit of separation from the show for a little bit. So that when they come back, it's fresh. Uh, because we've got to remember, these people like work on these shows for decades. And like I can't imagine doing it. Like It must be tiresome to play the same character over and over again. Right. But <sighs> The Walking Dead, it's ending. Sorry, folks. Uh, we, I'm surprised because <laughs> up until like even last year, I remember like Scott Gimple and like Greg Nicotero were basically all like, yeah, the walking dead and it'll never end. We don't have an end. It'll go on forever. Like, I'm like, why though? Like, do you have a reason for that? Because your ratings are dipping. And I think it just got to the point this season where AMC was like, Hey, you, you gotta, I think AMC pulled the plug on it. Um, I don't think. I mean, obviously AMC pulled the plug on it, but I don't think that the producers and showrunners necessarily wanted to end it quite yet, but I'm glad that AMC like had the guts to do it. Right. Like it's time to, time to wrap this up. Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Do you have anything else to add with the walking dead before we wrap it up? (laughs) I mean, Oh my God. (laughs) Um, not really, no. I mean, if I watched it, I'm sure I'd have more to say, but I I really, I just don't like it. And honestly, I really don't care one way or another if they continue it or not, because I'm sure the storylines have gotten really stale by now, because what, what can you really do with the plot that you've been given? And I just don't understand all the many, many, many spinoffs it's getting, because it's like... If you're getting a spinoff, then why do you have to use the storylines that you've been using throughout the show? Like, what fresh ideas are you getting and where are you getting them from? Yeah. Well, you know, Scott Gimple, so he's just... a genius. Sorry. <laughs> I, I really don't like Scott Gimple. Oh? Yeah. Yeah. Me and Scott Gimple have issues. Uh, <laughs> I, I think he... I think he is such a bad showrunner and he poorly mismanages almost everything that I've seen um, when he was primary showrunner. Cause the show didn't start out with him as showrunner. I think he picked up in like the third or fourth season and it was fine for a little bit, but then it went completely off the rails. And I'm talking like 
I literally, it went from being like, um, like my favorite show to put on to like all of a sudden, like, why, why is that happening? And, and how, how are you doing that? How are you fucking up that royally? Like, I don't understand. And like, yeah, it had potential, but it's gone now. And I'm glad that AMC realized it too. So, uh, let's talk about, um, the last bit of news that we have before we get into trailer discussions. Um, but I, I just, uh, real quick, it doesn't have to be a long discussion, but, uh, we have learned that Blumhouse has signed a three picture deal with, uh, Rob Savage, who, for those of you don't, who don't remember Rob Savage directed host that we reviewed on shutter, um, a few weeks ago. And Host was great. And Blumhouse and Jason Blum obviously were scouting for talent like every good producer does. And they watched Host and Jason Blum said, yeah, I want to make three of his movies. So they have signed up for a three-picture deal. So who knows if that's going to entail the sequel host that Rob Savage actually has in his back pocket um, that he's been writing. Because... Apparently, these three picture deals, um, this three picture deal is going to include the same like team behind Host. So, uh, Jed Shepard and Gemma Hurley that wrote mm-hmm. Host, and then the editor as well. And you know, keeping that tight knit group working on these three films, I, I can't help but wonder if they are going to do a Host like sequel with Blumhouse's like funding. That would be killer. I would love it. Um, I don't necessarily know if I want a sequel, but from what he said, it's going to be entirely different than what we experienced in the first one. Um, so he said we probably won't get another Zoom, uh, a Zoom like horror film in the sequel. It'll be like, I, I assume he'll probably pick it up with the entity that we had um, in host and he'll just do something with that rather than because a traditional sequel would say, Hey, what worked about this really first uh, about what really worked about this first one. And the answer to that would be uh, actually the zoom, like the technology behind making that film, which I hardly ever say, but it really worked in that movie and with that cast. And so, you know, normally directors would want to expand upon that and build upon that, but he's not doing that um, from what he said. And so if he does end up doing a host sequel, I'm glad it's uh, being produced by Blumhouse. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. Um, I think a host or a sequel to host would be really cool. But at the same time, I know that it's kind of unnecessary. They left it. They ended it in a pretty in a pretty decent spot. Even though and, you didn't like it. <laughs> I, for for what it's worth, for what the movie was, they ended it at a pretty decent spot. <laughs> I'm just not a fan of the ghosts that they used in it. That's all. That I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go back in on that because I could <laughs> go on a small rant and I'm not gonna do that to you guys. But <laughs> I don't know. I I feel like if they did a sequel to Host and it wasn't over Zoom, it would lose a very big chunk of its charm. Cause for me, the mm. best part about zoom was the fact that they took this very tired trope and somehow managed to find a way to make it feel so fresh and so, mm. so great. Like you're part of the movie watching this stuff in horror. And I feel like I'm not going to get that same feeling 
if if they make a sequel to Host without it being over Zoom. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, I mean, all in all, I am really excited that that he has this picture deal with Blumhouse. I am really excited to see what what they're going to do together, especially since Jason Blum sounds like he really understands. And I would even go as far as to say he kind of admires Rob Savage's uh, vision and directing style. And I feel like no matter what the picture deals are, uh, they would kind of be on the same path as host. And, you know, with all the money that he can give him, they can do a lot more than they were able to with host. I mean, with I'm hoping that that they can do more without losing that indie filmmaking style that they kind of had with host, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, but, that's, that's the good thing about Blumhouse too, is that they don't produce, like they're not, their budget is usually capped anywhere from five to 10 million. So they're not yeah. making a hundred million dollar films anyway. And from what I understand, like Jason Blum is really good about letting the filmmakers, letting the directors and writers like carry out their own vision on projects. Yeah. And so it's just a really good pairing because obviously he had the freedom to kind of do whatever he wanted with host. Right. Right. He's going to get that same kind of treatment mostly with Blumhouse. And so, you know, having a little bit bigger of a budget and having a little bit more, uh, direction a little bit more backup so to speak if you need it right. um, more tools uh, I think you know we could be looking at three really great films yeah I, I guess I, I should have clarified hopefully with the more money he could do more with those ghosts and make them less crappy looking now that he'll have a budget to make less oh my God. this is straight off of a YouTube video ghost so hey hey no that's that's (laughs) not my capabilities as far as filmmaking like in cgi goes like i can't do that like i can edit i'm glad you can't that looked awful (laughs) like i can edit a video together obviously i i edit the (laughs) podcast and i you know i do all these things but like i'm i don't think i don't think it was that bad i i we're still in disagreement (laughs) over this i don't under like and I respect your opinion, and I'm actually glad that we disagree on something for once. But like, <laughs> I, it just amazes me, like how much that really, like, <laughs> that really, well, like, threw you off. God, it was such a good movie, and then they're gonna try to smack this ghost in my face. Like, it was just, uh, it just, I didn't like it. You could have done so much with practical effects i don't know if that was practical effects it didn't look like practical effects it looked like a bad copy and paste error and i just (laughs) i can't (laughs) i can't get into this so you know that that's all i'm gonna say about that (laughs) okay um so there there it is uh if you make your film and you want Linda to review it, uh, I would hire the best visual effects supervisor <laughs> in the state, if not in the country, if not wow. internationally. Uh, <laughs> but um, spooky Linda demands. Spooky Linda demand. That's going to be the title of this podcast. <laughs> spooky Linda demands an amazing VFX supervisor. That's that's it. Not too much to that's ask. 
Now, don't think I would let you off that easy without at least one more ad read. The good news, though, I'm simply trying to tell you about our website, theburrowreviews.com. We have plenty of articles and reviews for you to read as you ponder your existence during these trying times. Like indie movies? How about blockbusters? The good news is we cover all types of film, but we especially love a good horror movie. So, if you're a Nebraska local looking for a review of your latest project, we got you. Simply search theburrowreviews.com in your web browser and you'll find us. If you have a short or feature film you'd like for us to review, and you aren't a Nebraska filmmaker, we'll still cover your film at no charge. Find our contact page on our website and fill out the form. You'll also find a list of submission guidelines on the page. Now, not every submission will be accepted, but it is always worth a shot. So what are you waiting for? Head over to the site now and check it out. The Borough Reviews, your movie refuge. You know, what I'm also excited for uh, is to talk about a couple of these trailers because they look bomb as fuck. So we have Dune uh, from director Denis Villeneuve coming out. Uh, it apparently might get delayed. Um, that's what they're saying now after they just released the trailer that it might get delayed. So that's unfortunate. Uh, speaking of which, we didn't talk about it explicitly, but Candyman has been delayed. And uh, I imagine that we're going to have more delays, especially like in the horror field. So that kind of sucks. But anyway, Dune, uh, you know, a big sci-fi epic. Um, you know, we had a David Lynch directed Dune movie back in the day that wasn't received very well. But now you look at it, it's kind of a cult classic. Um, mm-hmm. People often cite it as being way ahead of its time. And this trailer was awesome. I think the main problem that people had with the original Dune was the visual effects. Speaking of visual effects, and now with our modern technology, it really looks very clean and it looks it looks like the version that I think David Lynch might have wanted to make if he had had the right access to the tools. Um, obviously, it's not David Lynch because David Lynch is uh, his directing style is very uh, sublime and like weird. But I I do think that, you know, with that modern technology uh i think his movie probably would have been a little bit better um by the way he didn't like filming that movie and he doesn't necessarily oh, like movie. he doesn't even really consider it to be one of his movies so um and i i do think it's kind of because it was received poorly i i you say what you want i love david lynch too but i'm just <laughs> saying like you know anyway uh enough about david lynch this cast I mean- isn't in his defense though i mean it was the 80s when that first dune movie came out if you think in your head 80s sci-fi movie you're gonna think of any number of crappy special effects from from the 80s and from sci-fi movies i mean it's not really his fault i just blame that decade entirely as much as i love the 80s it was not a good decade for sci-fi movies if you wanted it to look well good (laughs) so (laughs) and his it was kind of his fault for choosing the 80s of all decades to make that movie and expect any kind of decent outcome i don't know it's uh it's an epic tale it's you know it's what sci-fi dune is to sci-fi as lord of the rings is to fantasy and that's the comparison that keeps getting made and so with this property, you know, it's important that 
all of the pieces come to fruition much easier than they did back then. Although, you know, like you can look at something like Wolf Rhea's The Village of the Dams, right, in like 1947 or something, I think. And even that movie, it's a sci-fi movie. Um, those effects work uh, because they're practical. But the thing is, like when you're dealing with the, but it's not like a huge futuristic sci-fi film. When you're dealing with that kind of, you know, source material, it's it's really hard if you don't have all the tools present to make a good film. And to make a film that stands the test of time, I think that's the biggest thing. Right. And what, what Denis Villeneuve seeks to cure here is just that. And the cast is amazing. I mean, you have Rebecca Ferguson, you have Timothy Chalamet, you have Jason Momoa. I know you like that one, Linda. We also have <laughs> we have Dave Bautista, Josh Brolin, Oscar Isaac, Stellan Skarsgård, Javier Bardem. I mean, it just keeps fucking going. Like every, anyone, uh, Chen Chang, anyone that you want to think of, like, in this movie, um, and like any actor that you really like, chances are that they've been involved with this movie somehow um i'm really glad that we're seeing more dave batista and things because i think i think he's gonna be like you know um michael kane and christopher nolan are like a, a pair that's inseparable i do mm-hmm. think dave batista and denis villeneuve from now on are probably going to be just that i think we'll probably have a dave batista cameo in almost anything that he does um and dave batista in blade runner 2049 fantastic and you know, Linda, you know this was going to get brought up oh my God. because because we're talking about that director. So, damn oh, it! I oh, I want to say it first. I want to say it first. He's the director from Blade One, Blade Runner twenty twenty four. Is that what you were going to say? Uh, twenty forty nine. Twenty four. Yes. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I made sure to put that down in my notes because I was like, oh my god. Oh my God, Blade Runner, Jared, I got to put this down. <laughs> you had to have known that we were going to talk about it. Yes. I think that like he's giving that franchise that same like that same level of like uh, quality control that he had with Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Although he's been on record saying Blade Runner twenty forty nine was like a love letter to like his favorite like film growing up, which was like Blade Runner mm-hmm. um, or one of his favorite <laughs> films in a way. And this Dune movie is different than that. It's not necessarily like a passion project like that was or like a love letter. This is just kind of like another film is what he said. Um, But he didn't say it like that. Like it was just any old film. He said it it was just different. Um, And so, yeah, I can't wait. What did you think of the trailer? Did you like it or do you hate it? Um. I think Jason Momoa's uh, character would have been done better by his brother, Patrick Wilson, but I'll let it slide this time. Um, I just could not stop staring at Timothy Chalamet. That kid is friggin'. He's just, he's sculpted. He is. Don't even get me started on Timothy uh, Chalamet. I will go off for years. He is chiseled. Also, also like Zendaya, like what the fuck? Like, oh, and the fact that they're dating. Oh, my God. Being a, and OK, for those of you, do, I'm very OK. I guess we're just going I, we're going political. I'm definitely not straight and I'm definitely <laughs> not sexual. And to have those two in a movie together and their like love interest. Oh, my God. Like, holy shit. You just came out on the podcast. Yeah. But like, I've been out for years. That so is I don't true. really. I don't really care, but like what I'm saying is having those two in that film, like, uh, it makes you feel so ugly seeing those two together. (laughs) You're just like, God, there's, 
I am Every- hideous. <laughs> Everyone in this, I mean, Rebecca Ferguson, like, is gorgeous. And then you also, uh, obviously, Jason Momoa. But I just want to say, Josh Brolin is a very good-looking man. And so, like, oh even... Oh, my God, I know. And Oscar Isaac, yeah. I mean, they're just all all pretty people. So that's what you're getting with this movie. It's just a bunch of pretty people. This is literally and... just the desert of where hot people are from. I know. <laughs> <laughs> if I was living on a desert, this is the one that I would want to be on. Sandworms. I mean... I'm I'm with you on that. Like honestly, I'm I'm not completely straight either. And just seeing these two, I was just like, oh my god! Hmm. And this isn't even like the kind of role that Zendaya even goes for. But you know, know. she's going to be a complete badass, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, so that's expected still December 18, 2020. But who knows if they're, they're going to stick to that release date? And then we also have Freaky. Directed by Christopher Landon, who you are probably familiar with if you're listening to this podcast with his work in uh, Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You. We might not be getting a third Happy Death Day, but we are getting Freaky. And Freaky was actually a really good trailer. Freaky stars Vince Vaughn and then Catherine Newton. And basically, it's like Freaky Friday, hence the the title Freaky. Um, But you have a serial killer switch bodies with his victim and then chaos ensues after that. What did you think of this trailer? I actually had some, some mixed feelings about it, which was why I, why I asked you about it before the podcast. I really wanted to know your opinion going into this. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, First of all, if you watch the trailer, you can 100% tell it's, by the same people who made Happy Death Day, which oh, yeah. it's not a bad thing. I I liked Happy Death Day, so that that kind of gave me a little bit of familiarity with the movie, and mm-hmm. it made me a little content with the movie too. So I like that, and I like the casting choice. Uh, it's very out of character for Vince Vaughn to do something in a kind of horror movie. We're not talking about that remake of Psycho, by the way. Um, well. <laughs> That movie does not exist. But, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, seeing him in a role like this is definitely a little weird. But at the same time, when you watch the trailer, it it makes sense. And it it works. So, I guess the only thing that's really pushing me back from this is all the groaners that they had in this movie. It drove me nuts. Um, Groaners are what I call lines. Or, you know, lines from a movie or lines from a script that just make you groan and just go, really? Really? I call, I call them groaners. That's Linda's vocabulary. Spooky Linda vocabulary. If there is a script line that make you go, ugh, that's called a groaner. They had so many and they pulled the whole, I'm just a normal, boring, loser teenager with nothing going for her line. That was the biggest groaner. And as soon as I heard that, I wanted to shut the trailer off. So I'm hoping it's not consistent throughout the movie. Because other than the lines in this movie, I actually really like the trailer. But if they're going to keep doing that, I am not going to enjoy this movie at all if and when we watch it. Okay, so interesting. interestingly enough, the first time I watched this trailer, I watched it without sound. Um, or captions because I was uh, what was I doing I was doing something um, I don't remember I think I was out like uh, get, getting groceries but anyway 
I was watching this. No, I was in a car getting food. Yes, that's what I was doing. But I wasn't driving, obviously. Uh, and when I was watching it, I I was super pumped. Like without the dialogue, without anything else, like it really like it was just a really well cut trailer. And it the the idea, the concept behind you know a serial killer like switching bodies with his victim, like that's fun. And we all know that this director knows how to have fun in his movies um, while also still being like, you know, somewhat in the slasher genre, so to speak. But I was really struck by that, that even without sound, it still looked interesting. And then when I watched it a second time with sound, uh, I didn't like it as much. So I think (laughs) that, yeah, I think that, you're onto something there with uh, the the dialogue and the writing of this movie. That's probably one thing to watch out for. But the actual concept is just so fun that I, I will have to watch it. Like, I, I will. I won't be able to not watch it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It looks like a really fun movie. And I like how they're doing, like, a quote-unquote horror Freaky Friday deal with it. And mm-hmm. it does make it look like a super interesting, super fun horror movie. It's just... Don't give me too many groaners in that movie, or I swear to God. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I I have a feeling I have a sneaking suspicion that you're going to be a little bit let down. I might that. be. Um, Whatever. But <laughs> that's okay. Uh, we still have Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to you to look back on and, and really appreciate uh, Christopher Landon's work because um, this might not be his best, but you know we'll see. Uh, I mean, Happy Death Day did have its fair share of groaners too, but they were spaced out. And at the time, they were at least mildly clever. But uh, these ones, they're just like, oh my God, just shut the hell up already. <laughs> just you're die. Like Vince Vaughn, anytime Vince Vaughn's involved in horror, you're like, shut the hell up. You're like, <laughs> if you were a studio exec and you got a script, and let's say it was a spec script and it was written by a really popular, let's say it was written by Kevin Williamson, but it had Vince Vaughn in the starring role and you could not convince anyone that wrote that script that's going to be making that movie to drop his casting. It's like they, they like wrote that character for Vince Vaughn. Are you, are you going to green light that script or are you going to shut it down? God, it's like, okay, okay, the plot is good. The special effects are are pretty decent. We have the budget for that. But man, that script sucks. Should we just call Vince Vaughn? Yeah, let's let's just get Vince Vaughn on here. And you know what? I'll even give Vince Vaughn this. Uh him being casted in Psycho was a huge mistake. Okay, he He's not Norman Bates. He does not look like Norman Bates. He looks like Norman Bates' douchey brother. Dude, Norman Bates is low-key hot. So, like, why are you asking <laughs> Vince Vaughn? You know what I mean? That's the thing. I, like, I get it. I get it. But... At least... Yeah. To uh, be fair, in Vince Vaughn's defense, his lines, like, his dialogue in the trailer for Freaky were not the grunners that I was thinking of. So maybe maybe they're saving his for the actual movie, but from what he says in the trailer, I was honestly fine with. I honestly thought it was a little funny because you know it's it's one of those deals where it's like, oh, it's a teenage girl talking out of a grown man's mouth, and you know, but 
they kind of did that with Jack Black's character in uh, Jumanji. Mm. So it, it yeah, reminded me of that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't watch either of those. Unfortunately, I really wanted to. I didn't. I watched the first one with that cast. I didn't watch yeah. the second one, but the first one with that cast was was actually pretty decent. I liked it. I heard the second one was good too, but um, eventually, like, I'll get around to watch. Okay, the thing is, is like with streaming now, it's like I can't catch everything anymore. Like, because Netflix is releasing ten original films every day, and like I can't like keep up with all this. So like, it's just difficult to get around to these things. Yeah. Um, Maybe if it was my full-time job, I would be able to. But because it isn't, I cannot. I'm sorry, Jerry. <laughs> we all are. <laughs> Honestly, uh, if it was my full-time job, I would do it too. Yeah. Okay, so what's new to streaming this weekend? Well, the answer to that is really nothing. Um, <laughs> our <laughs> friends over at PC Mag did a nice little breakdown per usual. We have Unpregnant on HBO Max, um, an unplanned pregnancy, religious parents, and no nearby access to abortion services leads high school student Veronica on a journey with her ex-best friend to secure one out of state. Um, heard really mixed things about this movie, but it's Max original. Um, I heard mostly positive things. So if you're looking for like, um, you know, a teen pregnancy movie, uh, along the lines of Juno, but not really Juno. Uh, you can watch Unpregnant on HBO Max. We also have The Duchess on Netflix, um, which stars Catherine Ryan as a single mother living in London who wants to have another child. In The Duchess, she navigates two male love interests, other moms intent on upstaging her, uh, mommy wars, full intact, and other complicated relationships. Um, on Hulu, we have Woke, which follows Keith, who is an artist that tries to, quote, keep things light until he has an encounter with the police and things spiral out of control. So I think that, uh, I'm not sure, I haven't watched the trailer on that, but um, obviously it's touching on uh, really important themes that are really prevalent in our society today. And if you're looking for your sense of escapism, uh, I don't know if that's going to be it, but it sounds it sounds good, um, and I don't know the ratings off the top of my head because I didn't. I didn't look up ratings. Did you look up ratings? I, I, I didn't. <laughs> no. Nope. Usually I don't. So on IMDb right now, as I'm looking at the screen, woke has a five point nine out of ten. So people seem to mostly Oof. enjoy it. Yeah. Um, we also have Christopher Robin on Disney Plus. Skipping right past that, uh, we have Family <laughs> Business season two on Netflix. When your family business goes from meat to weed, how do you deal with the problems? Well, um, in Nebraska, we don't deal with the problems here oh. because. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, yeah, Governor Caillou. Anyway, moving on. The social dilemma on Netflix is a documentary uh, that examines the control of powerful social media platforms um, that kind of use their power over their own users. Silicon Valley insiders, quote, reveal how social media is reprogramming civilization by exposing what's hiding on the other side of your screen. So it dips into, I, I would imagine, like antitrust, you know, piracy laws, yeah. uh, data, things like that. So if you're interested to know more about that stuff and kind of what's going on, there's been a lot of news recently about antitrust laws and stuff like that. So um, it's pretty timely. Uh, if you ask me, 
Um, otherwise, there's really not much streaming. So those are your choices. You have Christopher Robin, um, Offbeat Juno. Uh, you have, um, you know, Family Business. And then you also have uh, Facebook shenanigans. Uh, okay, those are hold your up, hold up, hold up. Just a couple weeks ago, you were going to try to get me to talk in length about the Phineas and Ferb movie, but you refused to talk about Christopher Robin. That's where you crossed the line? Like, what? <laughs> um, look, Phineas and Ferb, clearly superior than Christopher Robin. <laughs> I'm right. not wrong. All right, I'm no. not wrong here. Just silence. Just radio silence. She's Fair gone, enough. folks. I don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I thought uh, I had a fight, but I really don't have a fight in this one. <laughs> I don't really either, so we'll, we'll move past that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the show for you today. Um, a lot of news, uh, a lot of juicy tidbits, specifically revolving around horror and that's our focus so we always love when it's news heavy around horror um i apologize for my what seemed to be 35 minute rant um on the (laughs) uh diversity initiative from the oscars and the academy but uh it had to be talked about it's and and there's just been a lot of like misinformation going on surrounding that whole campaign and i just wanted to set the record straight that the Irishman would still be nominated even in 2024. So you probably shouldn't be too worried about that. But what you should be worried about is who's getting jobs. Yeah, I think that's more important than if the Irishman is being nominated. Um, But that's just me. Anyway, uh, I, I always appreciate having you on, Linda. And we had a lot of Scream 5 news this week, which was exciting. And don't know what else we're going to talk about for the next, like, year. But hopefully um, they are able to kind of drum up excitement in different ways rather than just casting announcements. Unfortunately, I think that the next, like, exciting thing to come from that project is going to be the trailer. And that's okay. But they definitely, like, hatched all their eggs at once somehow. So um, I think they just realized that there was a lot of excitement going on around the casting of Courtney Cox and David Arquette that they just had to let the cat out of the bag early. I mean, honestly, like I said before, I mean, as overwhelming as the news was, I really enjoyed it. And maybe it's just because I'm an avid fan of Scream and just, you know, loved it, especially seeing Kyle freaking Gellner on here. I literally screamed when I saw him tweet that he was going to be in Scream because, oh, oh my, okay, okay, just a little side note. When, when I was like following the news for Scream 4 around the time that came out, the anger I felt, because back then Kyle Gellner was still, you know, in horror movies. He, that was kind of like around the peak of his career when he was still a young actor getting all these projects. As much as I loved Rory Culkin and as much as I loved how he portrayed Charlie in Scream 4, I really, really wanted Kyle Gallner as Charlie in Scream 4. And I was super pissed when I heard that Kyle Gallner was not going to be in Scream 4 in any way, shape, or form. I was so angry. So just seeing him on Scream 5, 
Ha, huh, ha, huh, I love him so much. I love him. Huh. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, just, you know, it's it's kind of cool. But, yeah. yeah, I get it. Check your phone if you have your phone around. Uh, Has it sent yet? What'd you do? I just have a text message from my mom asking me if I should call her. There we go. There we go. Ah, uh, yes. Do you see that? Oh, gee. <laughs> Do you see that beautiful face? I, I get that, it. That is what I'm excited for. Uh, by the way, uh, <laughs> I sent her a photo of Dylan Minnette that he put out on like his Twitter timeline uh, not that long ago. I think, when was that? On the 10th. Um, so, yeah, that was a few days ago. But uh, anyway, um, I, <laughs> if that picture doesn't scream serial killer vibes to you, oh, I don't know geez. what it does. It screams Jared's in love with this boy vibes, which is fine because he is a lovely, lovely boy. But yeah, also I he's mean, in like I love his band, like his band, like oh, they're so I, I good. It. So it that also is what it what's occurring right then um, with my whole like passion about Dylan Minnette being cast. But I have a feeling like he might be the opening kill or involved in that. And if that's he's the too case, pretty, I, he he needs to last a little longer. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess, and he does have more like um, handsome qualities. No, he like <laughs> I think more popular than like Kyle Gallner, unfortunately, and like a lot of the other cast. Yeah, but in Scream Four, they did the exact same because in Scream Four, that was the oh, peak of Anna Paquin. Yeah, in uh, what's it called? Lucy the, Hale. Yeah, Lucy Hale with like Pretty Little Liars that. God, true blood. That's what I was thinking. Hide a true blood, you know, pretty little liars. They they use their current status of that to make them the opening kills just to make it that much cooler. So I'm wondering if they're gonna use his height of 13 reasons why to put him in the opening kill somehow. As much as I hate to admit it. Uh, oh. Okay, well, time will tell. Uh, we'll see in like, um, I'll, I'll be able to tell you when we get our first trailer. Uh, so probably in about a year, we'll know um, whether or not he's the opening kill. But anyway, um, yeah, what a great show. What a, a lot of news. Hopefully next week isn't as political and is still just as exciting, even though I think this week was pretty exciting just to talk about all those different things. So uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to subscribe to the Into the Borough podcast yeah. on whatever podcast provider you use, except Pandora. And um, I hope to change that. I genuinely mean that, but they're not. I know. Uh, but they are not responding anyway. Um, so hopefully we can change that. And then, um, you know, make sure to share this too on all of your social media platforms if you like it. And also give us a download too. Those down downloads are really what um, a lot of advertisers use to kind of test out the viability of the podcast. Uh, so downloads are actually more important than views in this one instance. Uh, it's not like YouTube. So please consider downloading all the shows when they become available every Monday at 11 a.m. Central Time. And until next time, uh, I hope you have a lovely week and that um, if you're in Nebraska, in Lincoln specifically, I hope you start to have a few more sunny days because it's been nothing but raining here. And for all those out in 
you know, the West Coast in Oregon, California, Washington. I hope you stay safe with all the fires that are occurring over there right now. And I hope you stay healthy. Um, so with all that being said, thank you everyone for listening to this episode. And we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.